I'm hilariously bad at video games. I think I may just not have the patience for them. But regardless, I continue to play them because I love and appreciate their fantastic storytelling abilities and the way they allow for complete creativity and exploration. I didn't grow up on typical Nintendo games like Zelda or Pokemon, but I did grow up on Nintendo. I remember when I was little and my family got a Wii. I thought it was magical. My dad and I had a favorite game. Well, I had a favorite game and my dad played it with me. It was Wii Ski. My dad liked it because it reminded of when he grew up skiing, and I liked it because I would ask my dad to meet me on the top of the mountain so we could race down, but I would start down the virtual mountain while he was still meeting me on the ski lift. I thought I was very funny. To fully understand Nintendo, we need to start in 1889 when it started as a Japanese playing card company, and later in the early 1900s when they started making more Western-style playing cards. This continued until after World War II, which completely reshaped Japan. After World War II, the Allies occupied Japan to restart and reform the Japanese government. The occupation included demilitarization along with political, economic, and social changes. This process was spearheaded by General Douglas MacArthur. Examples of some of these changes include giving sovereignty to the people instead of the emperor, free speech, and the use of media to spread awareness of democracy and more Western values, including capitalism. This westernization, which I won't debate whether it was good or bad, did lead to Japan adopting a constitution. A part of Japan's constitution was a special amendment. A civilian member of MacArthur's occupation of Japan drafted an equal rights amendment, which would be added to the constitution. Her name was Beatty Sirota Gordon. She was a 22-year-old Jewish-Russian immigrant. Her work gave women a legal voice in a society that had previously been dominated by feudalist ideals. Gordon was not a lawyer, but she did understand the Japanese language and culture due to partially growing up in Japan. The U.S. Equal Rights Amendment was proposed in 1923, a whole 24 years before the Japanese Constitution was ratified. It wanted to completely end gender discrimination by ending the legal distinctions between men and women. It was never ratified, and still to this day, the U.S. does not have an Equal Rights Amendment. I think it's important to learn that nothing happens in isolation, and with our European-centric way of learning, the history of places like Asia tend to get overlooked. I talked to some people to try and learn more about the occupation of Japan, but the main response I got was something along the lines of, I don't know much about that, and I wish I knew more. So I hope I sparked an interest in you to learn about the fascinating history of Japan. Okay, back to video games. After the occupation, there was a massive economic boom in Japan. This can partially be attributed to large conglomerates that link together banks, trading companies, and businesses. This quickly led to the rise of Japanese technology companies like Sony, Sharp, Yamaha, Toshiba, and of course, Nintendo. Modern Nintendo came on the scene around the 80s with a video game console called the Game & Watch. It featured Donkey Kong along with the first appearance of Mario. After this, Donkey Kong became extremely popular. Nintendo came up with the Famicom, a console for the home, and the Nintendo Entertainment System, or NES. This made Nintendo known for being a family game company, with something for everyone, a brand they have maintained over the years. After the massive success of the NES, Nintendo made the Game Boy, the first portable gaming system. Nintendo has made a lot of advancements in the gaming industry, from Pokemon being both a card game and a video game, to making the Nintendo Switch, which is both a portable and a home console but at the core of the company has always been making something that anyone can enjoy, which I think is a very different model from most other companies.
Overall, I think video games allow for a safe escape from reality, which can be a healthy coping mechanism or just a way to relax from the stress of a modern world. As I said before, I'm not a big player of video games, but I find them to be a beautiful way to communicate with a player. I see this most commonly in indie games that are trying to show a player a very specific feeling by using the game as a metaphor. Because the game is able to capture the player and bring them into the story, I find it can be very effective. I asked a few of my friends why they liked playing video games. I wanted to get some different perspectives from people who spend more time in the gaming world than me. I hate gamers with a burning passion. The reason I enjoy video games is because it's a medium I can define my own relationship with. Movies, television, these entertainment markets are more mature, I guess you could say. The culture is defined. Video games aren't really the wild west they were a decade or two ago. It's true that they're entering the mainstream if they haven't fully already. However, I still maintain a sense of individuality over my relationship to them. An aspect of control hard to come by in a world and place in my life where much is out of it. The intricacy of detail, worlds, characters fascinates me to my core. There's something interesting with the story or world that makes me so obsessed with finding every little neck and detail. The scope of what I can do is only the limit of what's in front of me, literally and physically. Nothing beats the adrenaline rush and the wonder that comes from that. Thank you for listening. I hope you come back for our next episode. Don't forget to leave a review and rate this podcast. You can find us at Tales Radio on Twitter or at talespodcast.wordpress.com. Please feel free to reach out to us. Tales Radio is hosted, created, recorded, and edited by Tessa.